Hello, and welcome once again to episode 21 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri, and I'll be your host once again for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Johnny. Hey, everyone. And Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. So we have three apps for you today, the first being Thirstic, a beautiful water tracking app made by Johannes Erschbammer, sorry if I mispronounce your name, uh, which helps you track your water intake and estimates your water needs over time, learning your habits in a clean and polished UI for the iPhone and Apple Watch. Uh, Thirstic is available for free with monthly and yearly subscriptions to support Johannes. Uh, so please check out the link in the show notes to show your support. And that is making me thirsty, so let me grab some water. Check. <laughs> Um, our second app for you today is Memory Pie, a memorization aid by Ben Kindle, available on iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Memory Pie aims to make it easy to learn almost anything uh, by giving you hints regarding how many words there are and slowly revealing or hiding letters along the way. Uh, so Memory Pie is really cool and costs only a dollar uh, for its more advanced features. So definitely uh, give it a try. It's completely free to try. Uh, so please show Ben your support. And our final app for you today is Sparkle. A full feature, a fully featured WYSIWYG editor uh, for your Mac uh, by by Danielle Trembuski and Dan. Blah. Our final app for you today is Sparkle, a fully featured WYSIWYG e website editor for your Mac by Danielle Trembuski and uh, Duncan Wilcox. Uh, Sparkle makes it easy to design your website, help make it more visible, and help make you more money doing so uh, in a Mac-first interface. So Sparkle's really, really polished. Uh, and it's available in both a one-time purchase and subscription license to unlock all its features. Uh, so please check out the link in the show notes to show your support uh, and give it a try, especially if you have a website making needs, uh, which are more and more people nowadays as we all kind of live our second lives on the web. Um, so if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Our list is long at this moment, uh, but please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion so we can spotlight your app as well. It being a new year, we figured it was the right time to go over everything tech-related that happened in 2020 as a sort of year in review. Uh, and what better way to do so than with a compiler error where I get a, where I get to test my fellow completionists' memory on all the specific details of all the Apple products that were released this year. Uh, so let's start it off with a bang. And we have uh, four, four releases that happened sometime this year. Uh, so let's see how well you remember everything that came out. Uh, so, release number one, in March of 2020, we saw the release of many new updates, including the PowerBeats, a low-cost wired version of the PowerBeats Pro, and an upgrade to the PowerBeats 3. Uh, statement number two, uh, the Mac Mini was updated not once, but three times in 2020, offering lower-priced storage options back in March, a limited-release developer transition kit in June, followed by the much-anticipated M1 transition in November. Statement number three, also updated twice in 2020, the March update of the MacBook Air did away with the rose gold option, but replaced the keyboard, introducing Touch ID with a touch bar for the first time. And statement number four, in true Mac Pro fashion, Apple kept its promise and released Apple Fitness Plus before the end of 2020, completing Apple's Apple One offering announced back in September. So very straightforward. You just have to kind of remember everything that came out. Uh, let's start with you, Johnny. Um, awesome. So I, um, 
The one that I'm most uh, suspect of is number three. Uh, I don't recall the MacBook Air ever being available in rose gold. Uh, now, some could argue that the current gold version is a more rose gold. It seems like Apple's been doing that more often. Uh, whenever I try to buy my wife any of the gold products, she's like, eh, it's sort of gold. It's mostly rose gold. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with number three. I don't think that they ever had a specific color uh, rose gold, even though the gold is probably more rose gold anyway. Okay. And Spencer? It's making me sort of reconsider my uh, my option. I was going to go with number one. I am not very familiar with Beats lineup. However, I'm not sure there was ever, oh, no, maybe there are actually, a, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, a wired version of Beats. Yeah, there definitely are. Um, ooh. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll just go with number one just to get like a, a 50%. Um, but I, I kind of want to lean towards Johnny maybe having the actual answer here. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so let's uh, just take these in order then. Uh, in March of 2020, uh, we did in see a, a new release of the Powerbeats, which were an upgrade over the Powerbeats 3 uh, and a lower cost wired version of Powerbeats Pro. So sorry, Spencer. Uh, that one is absolutely okay. a code completion in this case. <laughs> I don't know why I'm moving you. Um, Statement number two, so the Mac Mini was updated not once, but three times in 2020, and this is true. I was I kind of forgot completely about the March updates, but the Mac Mini was technically updated, um, and its pricing was adjusted such that you get double the amount of storage for the same price. Um, so that was a welcome addition, and that kind of put a damper on my expectations that we would actually see an M1 Mac Mini, because I, like, why would they release something twice mm -hmm. in a year? Uh, but they just did the, just that, and technically three times because the developer transition kit <laughs> was a Mac Mini, uh, and it was released in June. Uh, so that one is also a compiler error. Uh, so going on to number three, uh, so also updated twice was the MacBook Air. But as Johnny touched on, it did not remove the rose gold color option because there was no rose gold color option. Uh, so good job, Johnny, on right. spotting that. Uh, there actually was a rose gold color option way back when, so going even further back, but the 2019 <laughs> model MacBook Air did not have one. Um, but it was the first Mac to kind oh, of introduce Touch ID without a touch bar, um, so that was kind of very welcome uh, by the community that hates touch bars. I, I'm kind of okay with them, but it seems like some people really, really <laughs> hate them. Um, I think, personally, that Apple could have probably gone away with function keys and a touch bar like that would remove most problems of like accidentally touching it and give you the benefit of the touch bar and the benefit of t function keys because who would have thunk having specific buttons to do special things is quite useful uh but apple did not do that <laughs> alas uh which brings us to number four so in true mac pro fashion apple kept its promise and released apple fitness plus before the end of the year uh releasing it on december 14th i think um, have either of you gotten a chance to try it out? I haven't, but I'm looking forward to using it. I'm, I'm planning on using it. Yeah, I've been using it over the break. It's, I, I really enjoy it. So I'm, I'm still on my month long trial, but I'm, I'm planning on keeping it. Awesome. And was the month long trial when you get a new Apple watch or just as a part of the Apple one thing? Yeah, just, uh, well, no, it's just part of 
uh, part of the fitness app. So I'm wondering if you can get two months worth of free trial by doing just the fitness and then doing the Apple one trial. Oh, interesting. Um, oh. But yeah. Yeah. It has a month long free trial with it. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so that out of the way, good job, Johnny. Sorry, Spencer. Um, Thanks. This okay. is our opportunity to talk about <laughs> other things that kind of happened in 2020. So uh, Apple kind of released its uh, new Apple Silicon to the world in the form of Macs because they've been doing it for quite a while uh, with the iPhones and iPads. Um, so it's interesting to see how quickly this has changed the argument that like Apple may not know what it's doing to Apple is way ahead of almost everyone in terms of making computers now. Uh, and it's very exciting to see what's coming ahead of all of this. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, exactly like you said, I think no one really questioned the iPhone as a great product. Everyone knew it was the fastest smart, smartphone bar none. But, you know, on, on the... Um, the Mac side, there were always overheating issues and throttling issues, and uh, everyone, sort of in a right way, was was critical of Apple for that. Now we we sort of realize, well, it wasn't really Apple's fault; it was more Intel's fault for you know not having uh, more you know more and more efficient uh, processors able to you know handle the small chassis that they were in. Um, and now, you know, the, the M1 MacBook Air doesn't have a fan and uh, it never gets so hot that you, you can't really touch right under the screen. Um, I was thinking about this uh, uh, yesterday, actually, where, you know, this for a lot of the um, sort of tech hardware industry, uh, 2020 was a really bad year. And there are, you know, uh, on sort of the PC side, a lot of people are rightfully mad because there are there are you know PC components that people can't get their hands on that have been released months and months ago still, um, and yet Apple was able to you know release uh, an iPhone with uh, I think they only really delayed it by a month or so. Um, they released the M1 Max. Well, they're in limited supply. You're able to get them. You can order them from Best Buy. It'll be here in a couple of weeks. It's not. Uh, this sort of seemingly endless shortage that uh, seems to be plaguing the rest of uh, the sort of th that landscape in a sense. So I think overall, um, it's an exciting time to be an Apple fan. And I think uh, an even more exciting time to be uh, an Apple developer, because now uh, with the M1 Max, we've sort of opened up our landscape even more to sort of bringing, you know, where maybe people have only done iOS development, you can now kind of make a Mac app as well. And that's, I think, exciting and potentially a, um, you know, an opportunity to uh, reach more people, uh, make more money if you're an indie app developer. So, uh, you know, uh, for as crappy as the year has been kind of globally and for most people, uh, I think, if we kind of limit it to the scope of talking about Apple products and everything and kind of that ecosystem, I think it's been really good. And I'm excited to see, you know, where we move forward from the M1 already being great with, you know, four 
high performance course to what is the M1X or the M2 going to look like in the larger MacBook Pros and the iMac and the iMac Pro and the Mac Pros. So um, I'm I'm personally really excited. Awesome, Johnny. Yeah, I I mean I I echo what Spencer has said. I think <clears throat> this year I think we were all when the pandemic started we saw that there were going to be major delays and everything. And we were, and I know I was sort of like, oh man, what's this going to do? I mean, among being worried about other things, thinking about like, oh, what is this going to do to sort of the the scheduled product releases of things and hearing rumors about like, oh, well, the iPhone could be delayed until next year. Like mm-hmm. there was just a, a lot of unknowns. And then all of a sudden Apple just hits a home run and they're, they're releasing products. I mean, we had what we had a, new event every month in q4 is that right um something like right that. yeah i guess september october november i don't think we had a december one although they did release the uh the airpods max in december so a press release right so apple was seemed to seems like they should always work from home because apparently when they all work from home they release products faster and they're better so um but yeah i i agree i think this is an exciting year uh, I feel bad for all of the people that paid thousands of dollars to upgrade their computers uh, back in March when they came out with the new Airs and um, even people that buy the Mac Pro. I'm wondering if they're thinking, I mean, I realize the Mac Pro is a completely separate category, but there, if there's just a little like hint of a feeling of like, oh, like my Mac Pro is going to be obsolete in a couple years because they're going to come out with a Mac Pro that has like an M1X chip or something. Um, it's, you know, even it's funny, like Marco Arment, uh, he's selling his, he was selling his iMac pro on, on Twitter for like four grand. And it's just like, the only reason he's selling it is because he has a MacBook air that's like outperforming his (laughs) $4,000 iMac pro. Why would anybody like buy the iMac pro right now? I mean, besides saying I own Marco Arment's computer. Uh, I don't I don't see much reason for that. So I think I think it's been a, an exciting year and I think we we have a lot of things to look forward to in the coming year. Uh, hope, hopefully Apple doesn't slow down. So and, and it's interesting that you bring up working from home because that's a major change that our industry kind of saw, which we were kind of prepared for. Um, There's already a lot of people that were uh, kind of singing the praises of working from home and not needing to commute. Um, especially for something where you don't need to commute. Like this is the type of work that you can do remotely um, as much as possible. And even if you're not working from home home, but you're not going to an office every single day, uh, that can be a great boost to productivity when your job is primarily thinking a lot. Um, So it's good to see that the industry kind of realized that all at once. Um, And I hope that is a change that at least our industry can keep um, going forward, like I've transitioned completely to working from home and it's a permanent decision at that point for the company that I work for. Um, and I know Apple has been looking at this more openly than they have in the past where it's traditionally been, you have to have to have to move to Cupertino if you want to work for Apple. Now they're kind of thinking about, well, (laughs) almost all of our software development, um, engineers, are all kind of working from home at this point. They don't need to have physical access to anything that's in the office for the most part. Um, And this is not as catastrophic as they thought it was. 
uh, maybe that's an opportunity for Apple to kind of widen its net because there are tons of developers that'd be happy to work for Apple. They just don't want to move to Cupertino for plenty of good reasons. I mean, it's one of the most expensive areas in the world uh, to live and it's not necessarily that much better to, to like equate it all. Um, so having having options from Apple's point of view to kind of have a wider net of developers to kind of help work on the next great product that they're working on, I think is going to benefit them a lot. Um, and as a wider whole, uh, having remote be a f- like remote first options be available for iOS developers is really great, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think, <clears throat> like you said, no one needs to really be in an office as a software developer um, or very often. Um, I know for, for my job, um, even before the pandemic, before I started uh, at my company, they would, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they would have us uh, come in like maybe once a week or once every other week or so just to uh, have that sense of, uh, you know, camaraderie and go out to lunch together and, and all that. And I think that is a very healthy thing, but it's sort of remote first because they realize, hey, you know, we are all kind of working on our own separate features. We have Slack. We have all of these forms of communication that are that are afforded to us in, uh, you know, the 21st century. Why don't we just <laughs> use them? And it's nice for me because I... Uh, don't have to commute. Uh, it would probably be, you know, an hour total every day and everything. So I'm saving time for myself and it feels more like a benefit than it is, uh, than uh, it may be for other people. But I know, you know, my dad growing up, he would uh, commute to work every day um, and it would be an hour each way uh, just to get to his job. And so he'd leave super early, get home late Um and now he's working from his home and like he loves it. So I, I don't even think that this is strictly limited to software development, but like he's a salesman, uh, you know, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with software development, but there are so many uh, different careers that can benefit from that, but especially software development where we're just on computers every day. Uh, there's kind of not a huge reason uh, not to, and. Um, I think if you wanted to have that sense of camaraderie, there are sort of uh, healthy ways of, of doing that if you live, you know, somewhat close by or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's cool where, um, you know, Apple is is considering that. I think um, it, it's, it's a good option. And I, I agree that I think a lot more people would want to work there. I definitely wouldn't want to move to uh, California just because it's far away from my family. I love California, but... Um, you know, everyone being here in Utah, it's like, uh, even living, you know, three hours away when I was in college was like kind of a pain. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest draw for me as well. Like I'm in California and I still wouldn't want to move to Cupertino because my friends, (laughs) my family, they're all in Los Angeles. Like I have no reason to like move away. I was really looking forward to Mm -hmm. Elon Musk with this hyperloop idea of like 30 minutes of commute all the way up north and that commute would be very different whether it's a 30 minutes or an hour you're sitting down you can go ahead and be productive and do something when you're driving for an hour that's soul sucking um whether there's traffic or not it's it's, you can't do anything else during that period of time so like 
being able to sit down and commute if you can can be refreshing because you can go ahead and do something else you can plan your day differently but needing to drive an hour to and from work uh that like has i would say contributed to my own depression over time um and i am so happy to not need to do that anymore and that's that's a much better situation at least for me um and one thing that kind of also changed uh, by like everything being remote is Apple's events are now all remote, right? They're, they're yeah. all being pre-recorded. They're all being more well-planned. There's less buffer time just to fill up two hours to make it worth it for the press to come out. Heck WWDC was all remote and that kind of worked out fine. If you needed to hop on a session, I didn't hear of anyone that got denied uh, a chance to kind of talk one-on-one with Apple's, uh, developers like that was so well orchestrated and I'm sure there was chaos behind the scenes uh, to get that working as well as it seems to work um, but that was something that worked really well and I think that was more available than ever because in the past you had to like wait in long lines hope that the time that your lab was open was when other things weren't going on and that you could make it um, and hope that the right person was at that specific opening. Um, Whereas this, you can kind of describe your problem ahead of time uh, and it's all kind of available. Uh, So Johnny, what did you think of Apple's new uh, methodology for both keynotes and WWDC this past year? Oh, I, I loved it. I, um, this was easily my favorite WWDC. Like you said, I think that uh, when they had the live sessions, um, they they were trying they had to like fill up the time right because especially having people like go in rooms and out rooms like and they're having all these people meeting it's like well we got to have like an hour long session and so it just seemed like there was a lot of fluff there were a lot of like there was also a lot of awkwardness I mean I, I every time I watched those sessions before this year it was like they would like tell a joke or like it would I don't know it was just there was just like a lot of like awkward pauses and moments. Whereas now that they're sort of scripted and short um, and professionally done, uh, I think I think they're it, it's a much better experience and much more accessible to to everyone. Uh, we don't need to feel sad that like we missed out on landing some tickets to Dub Dub, and uh, we all get the same experience, but we all get to continue to you know set up meetings with the with the geniuses and and whatnot. So I. I hope that this continues. I hope that this wasn't, I hope that we learn from this that like there doesn't need to be a pandemic to like actually do something that's better. Right. And that, and I think that this was, it was the right solution for the year, but I also think it's the right solution moving forward. And yeah, that was, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, just to echo what Johnny said, like just looking at in the developer app, um, you know, there are videos that are 28 minutes long, 54 minutes long, like introducing Swift UI, right? But then there are uh, seven minute videos. And that's what I love is that there's no fluff. And for me, when uh, maybe I'm either working on a personal app or even if I'm on the clock and I need to look up something from a WWDC video, I don't have to scroll through you know, uh, 45 minutes of what may be really only 25 minutes of content or whatever it is. Uh, so for me, just having a more clear, concise, kind of straight to the point 
this is the topic we're going to just talk about this with no time limit was it was awesome and uh i i personally love it and i definitely use the developer app just to you know find those videos uh a lot you know a lot more easy to do personally and a last aspect of wdc that was kind of missing was those in-person meetups to kind of network and socialize and meet other developers and that's kind of how so many developers, like you may not realize it, but that's how they get work is by meeting other developers and getting known uh, and getting to know others at the same time. Um, and that was kind of lacking because we weren't in person. There was less opportunity to just bump into people. Um, and I, someone who has gone to WWCC a lot over the years, uh, I, I really missed that because that was my opportunity to see a lot of friends that I would only see once a year, whether they got tickets or not, a lot of them would still go down uh, or go sideways or go up to San Francisco. Um, and that was our opportunity to kind of see each other uh, because there were other conferences that kind of happened all at the same time. So uh, if you had a chance to go, then people would go would ticket or not. Um, so that was kind of lacking, but that has also kind of been replaced by different things. So for instance, this year we saw a kind of boon of iOS happy hour zoom calls uh, that, are probably more welcoming to new people in the community. Like in the past, if you didn't know the group, you kind of, you could just like stand awkwardly next to a few people that are talking and hope that there's an opportunity for you to just jump in with a quick comment uh, and seem kind of like a fool for doing so. Uh, I never felt comfortable in those situations. But with iOS Happy Hour, uh, I've never I haven't had a chance to join them yet. But what it seems like they're doing is. You have a massive Zoom call with hundreds of people, but then they make breakout rooms of randoms of a random selection of individuals. Uh, so you get you get put in a room with six other people, uh, and you can introduce yourself and you can have a conversation from that point forward. That's much more geared to everyone that's involved rather than you needing to be part of the in group. Um, so it's much easier to kind of start meeting new people, um, and I think that that's only happening because of the pandemic and because of the lack of in-person WWDC and other conferences. Um, and I, I, I think that's a great thing to kind of come out of uh, the otherwise miserable ness of 2020 that has kind of enveloped us all this past year. I think overall, it's been very cool to see how uh, everyone, uh, especially in kind of the software development bubble have, uh, adapted and uh, evolved through, hey, you know what? We don't have these in-person meetups. How can we How can we fix this? And like you said, it's probably better overall for everyone. You're getting to meet new people. It's not awkward. It's like you're kind of shoved into this Zoom room. Uh, you never know who's going to be there. And overall, I think it's, it's a better experience. And it's like this forced innovation that um, is, is sometimes good for us. You know, as as crappy as the year was, like, I think we've all learned a lot of things. I know that I'm a lot more careful about washing my hands a ton every day and all of this stuff. But um, maybe that is an easier way for, like you said, other people to uh, like, especially junior people to uh, get in the door and not feel as awkward and, and kind of circumvent these uh, these. I don't know, problems, I guess, or. or uh, potential issues that maybe someone may have. Um, but that's what I love is we are doing something. And that's that's kind of the thing about the software development community that I've found is 
in general, I think, um, at least, you know, online and everything, everyone is, tends to be very helpful. Stack Overflow and everything is, you know, rife with very professional people that have full-time jobs that are answering questions or Twitter, you know, um, Steve Tron Smith, someone will ask him something and then he'll retweet it so people can see it. Um, so there are all of these problems that, you know, uh, I look at, at people that have done this for a long time, including yourself, Dimitri, that like, I, I don't know how you would do software development without all of these, <laughs> these tools because I've, I've had them my entire uh, kind of career. Um, and so like the, the pandemic kind of maybe pushing us a step forward in that regard uh, overall is, is kind of a good thing. And I think um, hopefully that will, you know, uh, help people to, to get to, uh, you know, X point faster than maybe they would uh, in the career, in their um, learning, whatever it is. Any final points regarding the past year and reflections on it? Okay. So before we move on to what we aspire to for the next year, uh, we have a sponsor for uh, this week, and that is, once again, not pho. So tired of eating the same old meals time and time again? Consider Vietnamese food. You might already know of pho, but there are a ton of other flavors specific to Vietnamese cuisine that are sadly not known around the world. This includes everything from sandwiches like banh mi, rice plates like kum tam, and even the deliciously savory crepes known as banh seo. That's where the app Not Pho comes in. It's a free-to-try app dedicated to teaching you more about the wonders behind Vietnamese cuisine, brought to life with colorful and interactive illustrations and animations. Learn how to make many classic Vietnamese flavors at home, but even if you don't cook, you'll know how to order like a pro the next time you visit your local Vietnamese restaurant. New in version 1.1 is The Chef Club, bringing you even more recipes like fried rice, chicken curry, and my personal favorite, chicken beef, for the low cost of $2 a month, with more recipes added regularly. Thanks again to NotPho for sponsoring our show. Search for NotPho, that's N-O-T space P-H-O, on the App Store today to give it a try completely for free. And like many of our Indie App Showcase developers, NotPho is developed by one person. So uh, be sure to uh, give them your support by checking it out uh, and supporting our show. Now... In terms of the coming year, there's a lot to look forward to in the developer space. So starting with the M1, that is just a preview of what Apple's capable of, and that is them flexing their muscles on the lowest power devices possible. They have a MacBook Air that survives for, or the MacBook Pro was it, that survives for like 20 hours on its battery. And yeah. That, yeah, that is hardly using anything in the process and it's able to outperform many computers. Like you can put it next to its same kind of size class uh, devices in the PC world, and it obliterates them. You can put it next to big hunker gaming PCs, and yes, those will do better at some tasks. But some tasks. The thing is like this tiny, and it survives for 20 hours. That's that's ridiculous <laughs> uh, in retrospect. So um, there's a lot to look forward to in terms of the M1 and how it's going to kind of expand across the rest of the product line. So there's been a bit of talk about what that next version of the M1 is going to be. Will it be the M1X? Will it be the M2? I personally think that we're going to see something along the lines of an M1S, kind of like the 6, 6S, iPhone 6, iPhone 6S, iPhone 10, iPhone 10S, 
uh, kind of naming where we have an M1S uh, where we have speed as a primary kind of improvement over the M1 proper. Uh, and this would probably be something that comes with the MacBook Pros, comes from to the base level iMacs, even the higher level Mac Minis. Because as as you can see from Apple's product page, there's a Mac Mini, but then there's also the Intel Mac Mini, meaning even Apple sees they're not kind of covering everything. So they're still selling the Intel Mac Mini there. But if they have something in the line to replace it, it's probably coming soon because they don't want to keep that Intel one there forever, like the ancient MacBook Air that was kind of being sold for 10 years uh, without any improvements. So hopefully Apple will kind of cycle through these. So I think that kind of processor that will do that would probably be called an M1S. And that leaves open the M1X because the M1Z is kind of silly. I don't know. They only went to Z for the A14 because they used X first. So this is an opportunity for Apple to use S first, and then they can go to the M1X uh, for the iMac Pro and for the Mac Pro. And that's X can be for extendable uh, meaning they can probably configure them in such a way where, hey, you need more neural cores, we can give you tons of neural cores. Hey, you need more GPU performance, we can give you tons of GPU performance. Hey, you need more CPU performance, we can kind of tailor to that. Uh, so having something where you can potentially configure just the computer you need rather than getting the high spec of everything. If you don't need the high spec of everything, you need tons of GPU cores or you need tons of encoding cores more than anything else having that potential could be really fascinating because it really opens up that configurability, even if you can't change it down the line, but having that configurability up front of you need a very tailored computer to for your workload, I think that's kind of a really fascinating uh, area that they can kind of explore. What do you both think? Yeah, so I, um, yeah, then, I mean, the naming you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens, right? People might think the M1X is, is that M110. I mean, we've always had this question of does the X stand for 10 or does it actually stand for X? So uh, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I, I am excited to see what will happen when we get these, these chips into, um, you know, these, these kind of top tier computers. Um, you know, we, we have it in the MacBook Pro, um, but that's only configurable up to the 16 gigs of RAM. And, and I think that was the, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the announcement of the M1 was, was exciting, but I, I guess the disappointing part was to see that all of the computers were only configurable up to 16 gigs of RAM. Um, and so it, it'll be fun to see when you, they start putting these, these chips into things that you can configure up to 32 gigs or 64 gigs or even 128, right? Um, and seeing the the power that they have, especially when, um, you know, and I think we've talked about it before, but when when given, uh, you know, whenever you're given a chip, there are sort of two things that you can improve. You can either improve speed or you can improve efficiency, right? Um, and with the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, uh, you know, they did well going both routes, making it efficient, but also making it fast. Uh, but now you've got a computer that's plugged into a wall. Uh, and you don't need uh, that power, right? Like you don't you don't need to preserve power or battery life. Uh, what can you do then? Um, you know, I think that there we're gonna see some crazy, crazy speeds uh, when all, they can just purely focus on speed because you're just you're taking the power from the house and that's that's all that you need. You don't have to worry about preserving battery life, so you can just make things go go crazy fast. So I'm excited. 
Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it, it's absolutely incredible if we look at like, from the efficiency standpoint, what power and speed they're able to get where you, we look at uh, really almost any task from a single threaded uh, perspective, it's faster than basically anything with uh, you know very little power draw. Being able to increase that would be fantastic. Although, to be completely honest, I don't think that uh, the thing the thing that I would look forward to the most would be the single-threaded performance. I think uh, the extendability, like Dimitri's saying, where you either have more cores, so you're able to uh, you know perform whatever multi-threaded workload you have, whether it's you know video rendering, what whatever you have, uh, assuming you're not doing like hardware encoding. Um, would be fantastic you know uh, 16 32 cores would be fantastic um in in the higher much higher end models um just because uh, the single threaded performance like just looking at you know the macbook air uh it, it, i mean it crushes anything that i give it at all i mean four cores is great for any kind of like normal person per performance that you need but also you know um Compiling my code is fast. Um, basically, anything I need is, is great. I think the the place where it starts to sort of potentially slow down would be in the things that you know, like rendering a video that that take a long time. So that extendability, whether it is, and I hadn't really thought of this until you brought it up, but you know, kind of branching off and saying, oh, you need to be able to uh, do hardware encoding. Let's give you more of that, or let's give you more cores, or whatever it is. Uh, that's an interesting thought. I'm wondering, like, do you think it would just be a, yeah, I guess, would they just be kind of branches of the M1 that are kind of separate? Do you think they're sort of, uh, let's see, how would I put this, like, post-upgradable, if I that think makes it, sense? It might, so this is pure speculation at this point, uh, but if Apple were to go sure. down such a route, they have full control of their silicon pipeline at this point. So they could potentially make a motherboard that has a main M1, just like that's the main CPU. It's the same M1, mm -hmm. nothing different about it. Right. Uh, except this M1 has a bunch of extra lanes to communicate with three other coprocessors. And you can pick what coprocessors you kind of want for your configuration. Um, and that could be fascinating if Apple were to kind of allow that. I, because that's essentially yeah. what you get with the PCI slots for a Mac Pro. You have your Mac Pro, and then you can configure, right. hey, what kind of cards do you want to put in your Mac Pro? What if there are no cards for these M1S and M1S X models, but you do have spot, space on the CPU and space in the cooling capacity to put three other coprocessors, and you pick, I want a GPU, I want a yeah. GPU, and I want a CPU. Or I want a neural core, neural core, neural core, and you don't care about the CPU and GPU at that point, you just want tons of uh, neural core capacity there, um, but you still have the performance of the M1. Now, one thing to consider is Apple made a ton of headroom in terms of efficiency uh, space because their M1 is way more powerful at lower power draw, which means that potentially we could have, like there's nothing really preventing Apple from going 16, 32 core on a laptop. Like, no one's yeah. really discussing this because it's yeah. probably not coming up in any terms of rumors or uh, leaks. But Apple could potentially have the opportunity to make a highly multi-core machine that's available 
in a portable form factor that's running off of a battery for the most part, which is something that isn't really being done at all today. Similarly, Apple can now realistically make an Xserve again, right? There's nothing preventing them from uh, from being faster in the past with Intel chips because Apple's competing against the entire rest of the industry at that point. And of course, the Xserve is not going to do well. It has the same commodity parts. Uh, and even though the rest of the industry costs just as much, uh, spoiler alert, servers are expensive. Um like no one had a chance, had a reason to pick macOS over Linux for something that was growing so much in that uh, regard. But now that Apple has this insanely powerful silicone, you don't necessarily want something that eats a ton of power in the server room. Like I remember at at my work, our electricity bill just for having a server room was astronomical. Having something that is more power efficient is actually a good a good thing to have in the server uh, space, especially if you can pack a lot of it in in a rack and you have a ton of computational power that's available. And Apple can potentially deliver that with its M1 chips that the rest of the industry kind of has to play catch up with. So it would almost be a shame for Apple yeah. to keep that to the max. And I just like they, it was a shame that they're just sticking in a phone. Like, give this to us in our computer, please. It's faster than our computers. <laughs> At the same time, give it to us in more form factors. Like whether Macs are kind of limited to what they're available, that's fine. But if we do have an Xserve again in the future, that might be really cool. Um, and it might, again, surface up problems in Mac OS because it's not a server-oriented uh, uh, operating system at this point. And there's plenty of issues like, oh, if you restart your server... You need to kind of walk on over and mosey in your password uh, to kind of log in and start all the things. Um, that's not something you want in a server environment. Um, but Apple could potentially go back in that direction, especially for their own servers. Maybe it's just to satisfy their own needs uh, more than anything. And then just, they just sell us <laughs> the parts that uh, are kind of like an offshoot of that, uh, of that experience that they kind of are going through. One thing that, uh, we we kind of jokingly talked about uh, I don't know it was it was probably a month or so ago uh, was because of you know Apple Silicon being what it is uh, it being in in different form factors like the XServe but also like they could uh, potentially do something crazy where they have some very very low powered thing uh, you know using something like a W whatever or what do they have in the in the Apple Watches? W one S seven, I think. Yeah, whatever. Like the F series processors <laughs> in like a Raspberry Pi form factor for uh, something like that, where you know you're you're controlling uh, whatever you know uh, a robot or just some LEDs or whatever. I would buy so many of those in a heartbeat. It would be ridiculous. I love my Raspberry Pis and I use them for many different things. But if there was an Apple Silicon version that could very easily outclass a Raspberry Pi and I could write code for it in Swift that has like full Apple uh, ecosystem Swift language support, <laughs> I would love. Yes, exactly. Like, I don't know, being able to access iCloud or whatever it is, use all of the uh, use foundation. Uh, where you can use Swift on the Raspberry Pi, and I have, but it's it's very limited about what you can do, um, and you know even support for running uh, 
and things like vapor is it, it, it's a little bit shoddy it's got a, lo a lot better lately but um a, a first party solution would be amazing for that and i think like you said bring back the x serve that would be so cool i would probably buy one um put it in my server rack but uh, they have all of these other opportunities to do that and i'm excited to see where it goes and i think this is the turning point where apple has finally kind of shown everyone that they haven't really stagnated uh but they have a, a clear path and you know there was all of the talk about oh they've abandoned the pro user they didn't update the mac pro for what like six seven years or something like that with the trash can um now i think everyone is sort of sitting comfy like okay we're good now but i'm also excited to see you know kind of where they push this outside of just you know mac os there are so many other things that they can and do. even if it's not like a raw board if it's just like an apple tv sized device and there's a breakout yeah, totally. a breakout pin cable at the back so that way you can use this for like uh mm -hmm. hacky little things uh, and even if they just market this as an educational tool like hey learn the fundamentals of computers oh yeah we have this neat little uh mini mac or whatever they want to call it um uh mac nano uh that you can nano you can yeah. kind of not use for regular computer -y stuff but you can do really lots of really cool things by hacking it like all the security is kind of turned off this is not uh meant for daily use but it is right. yeah. something that you can go ahead and really mess around with and have a lot of fun with um if you are more technically savvy uh to be able to really benefit from all of those features so that is something that apple definitely could kind of go into especially if they want to kind of stay in that educational space um especially with teaching mm -hmm. swift like what better device than a $150 little mini yeah. puck that you can just plug a keyboard mouse and monitor into uh, and have breakout pins to actually interact with other devices, LEDs, little robots. That would be so, so cool. Yep. Um, and it's something that Apple could do way better than anyone else um, because they are so uniquely yeah. positioned to kind of care about that experience way more than anyone else. Um, and it would kind of like, I can only imagine it being embarrassing for the rest of the industry. It's like, oh, why didn't we think of that? At the same time, there's going to be people saying, oh, look, they did it wrong. Um, and only time will tell at that point. Um, but that, that could yeah. be, like you said, a very fascinating, uh, direction that they could go in. Other products, air tags, where are they? Apple, I want some. <laughs> Like, please <laughs> that's so true uh johnny are there any products that you're kind of looking forward to uh over the next coming years mm, i mean i yeah i've probably tapped out this this year i think i i spent too much money this past year so i might have to go a year without so i'm hoping they don't release anything too cool this year Ooh. um for my sake but for you guys you know, <laughs> I, I hope you get what you want um, but yeah, the, I think the AirTags, that's an exciting one. I know they've talked about um, some form of AR glasses. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about those. But I, I think if anyone can nail it, it's going to be Apple. So um, I'd be interested to see what they come up with there. Um, but other than that, I, I think I'm I'm pretty happy. I, I think with... You know, I mean, iPhone has always been a solid product. Apple Watch has always been solid. 
So I'll be excited to see the upgrades with those. Uh, if we get like a new form factor on the watch, um, that would that would be exciting as well. Um, but yeah, I think that that now that they've kind of nailed the the computer, you know, with the M1, I don't know. I feel like I, my needs are my needs have been met, and so anything that <laughs> anything beyond that, I I think will just be a, a pleasant surprise um, and be exciting to to learn about and watch and figure out how I can, if I can work that technology into my life. Um, but I, I think that, that things are pretty, pretty solid this year. And I'm, I would be happy with just upgrade, like just, you know, just some simple upgrades on, on the devices this year. Um, I think, you know, we've got a, a bit of like an Apple product hangover from last year. So like, we're just, let's just take it easy this year, guys. Like we, you know, I think we've seen a lot. So That's your wallet talking. That's not Johnny. Johnny wants new products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want more. <laughs> Spencer, what about you? What other what other Apple products are you looking forward to over the next year? Yeah, I think um I definitely love some AirTags. That would be great. Um To be honest, I don't know. I uh yeah, just some better, you know, higher end Macs. Um, I man, I, I would love that Raspberry Pi style thing. I don't know, that that seems like a pipe dream. Other than that, though, like, you know, for the iPhone, it's like it's a phone. It'll be better. I don't know. It might have a fourth camera or something. It, that's great. But at this point, it's like we're we're kind of sitting pretty, so it doesn't really. It's not anything that I'm like oh, I hate my iPhone 12, right? Like, I need this next phone. It's like, okay, we've got 5G now. It's it's good. Like, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, as, as kind of like a little bit of an aside, not a product, um, I heard a rumor, and I can't remember where I heard it. It might have been on the Wine Show last night. I can't remember. Um, but they were saying that there might be eGPU support for the M1 Max. Like it may not have been like completely fleshed out uh, to their satisfaction. So that might come to an M1 Mac and that would be cool for people that need that extra power um, and or, you know, more monitors or whatever without having to kind of use the display link or whatever it was called. So that would be cool, um, you know, more software support for M1 Max is always going to be awesome just as developers roll that out. That's not an Apple thing, but um, just excited to see where the M1 goes and, and kind of how it evolves. So, you know, if it will be in that expandability uh, kind of sense or if it's just, hey, we're going to shove a bunch of cores into this thing. Like, uh, I don't think they can necessarily go wrong. I think they could do things in, in perhaps a better way. But um, yeah, overall, I'm I am satisfied. I just want more at more. the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you bring up more monitors because that's kind of the only thing holding me back from wasting a ton of money and buying a Pro Display XDR is because I want three of them. I want a giant array of giant monitors, yeah. uh, and that would be outrageously <laughs> expensive. So it's kind of good that Apple doesn't make an M1 that can drive multiple Pro Display XDRs yet. Um, but at the same time, as soon as they do release such a machine, I fear for my wallet because my temptation is high. Um, so I hope at the same time they release a more reasonable monitor that kind of replaces the LG 5K 
um, one and yeah. is made by Apple and is not like super shoddy in construction. Uh, that would be super perfect timing because then I wouldn't need to buy three Pro Display XCRs, which would probably cost four times the cost of the computer itself easily. Um, and I don't want to buy like a Mac Pro at the moment because like I don't need an Intel machine that will kind of be obsolete in a few years. Some people do. And that's kind of why they are buying Mac Pros. If, if they bought a Mac Pro and they didn't see Apple Silicon coming, in fact, it was kind of announced like a month later, um, then that's kind of on them. I, I would assume that most people that bought it kind of knew it was coming and knew what the trade-offs were be, would be uh, buying such a machine at that point in time. Uh, and they're probably all happy with their purchase. So uh, that's going to be a machine that's going yeah. to work. Like, never mind new versions of macOS that are slowly going to make your computer slower and slower as they kind of adjust to the faster and faster speeds that the M1 kind of provides. But, like, that is something that will continue to work and people will continue to be happy with as long as they don't kind of upgrade it into unsupported territory. Um, yeah. So with all of that... Uh, out of the way, uh, let's quickly go over Complete the Code because it's been a few weeks. Uh, and this is our segment where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. So last week, uh, we had an Objective-C question. What Apple-provided class can you subclass that won't initialize correctly unless you use self equals super init in the designated initializer? So a, lo- a few people kind of focus on that super init part of uh, that statement, but that like rightly so if you don't have super init your class is gonna your subclass is gonna kind of combust internally uh and nothing is gonna be initialized but you can't leave out the self equals part either because turns out a lot of classes if you call super init but you don't assign that to self you're not gonna have too many problems but there are a few classes where if you forget to assign it to self and you forget to kind of replace the uh actual um, the actual object that you're initializing at initialization time, you can run into some problems. Um, now, you might immediately immediately think that the class clusters are probably kind of going to give you the most trouble here. But in class clusters, you purposely set self to something completely different anyway, so you're not even calling superinit. Um, so that's kind of a different issue. But there are a few classes like NS index path that actually have an internal lookup of objects that are pre-made. So if you do not use super init, uh, and if you do not assign super init to self, you're going to run into some issues there because you're not going to get the same NS index path twice in a row, um, which is what you currently get uh, with the current implementation. Um, so if you want to learn more about this, there is a lot on Will Shipley's blog about this whole topic because he he posed this question uh, back in 2005. <laughs> so. Uh, there's a lot that you can kind of learn more there. So we'll post a link in the show notes uh, for that. Um, and since we're no winners, our promo code that has kind of been available for uh, this one is going on to the next one. So this week, uh, we have um, a different kind of question. And this is just more of a general kind of programming uh, question. Um, so we are calling malloc with an argument of eight and saving the result in a pointer called my quote object unquote. What built-in way that doesn't require the use of the internet connect as a, of an internet connection can you use to get documentation on many C functions like malloc? So you can't just option click malloc in Xcode. You're not going to get anything too useful. You can search Google, yes. But there's a built-in way on your computer where you can get documentation for malloc. 
Um, what is it? If you can describe it to us and tweet at us with hashtag complete the code on Twitter, uh, then you can have a chance at winning that promo code. Um, and more important than the promo code, you'll get a shout out on our show. Uh, so please do look forward uh, to that. Um, if you have any other ideas for complete the codes uh, that we could potentially use in the future, please be sure to leave us a DM on Twitter and we'll, we'll be sure to shout you out as well if it's a good idea. Um, and that way you can get double shout outs. You can win this week's and then you can propose next week's. Uh, so do look forward to that. And as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's a topic you'd like for us to discuss uh, and dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with all your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Johnny, who is at Johnny D. Hicks. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y-D-H-I-C-K-S on Twitter. And Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunil. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. See ya.